There we go. Can you hear me? Great. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, take over me. Let no untruth befall these lips. And let my heart speak to the people. Amen. If that sounded really pithy, it's because I stole it from a really beautiful black woman um, who shared that a couple weeks ago. And she had actually stolen it from her Baptist preacher. So... um, That is going to be a theme that runs through the sermon. If you're hearing something that you like, it's probably not my idea. So it's just good for you to know, right? I don't want to set up unrealistic expectations. I have been working with people uh, with intellectual disabilities for about 10 years now. It'll be 10 years in March. And um, one thing that happens when you work with people on the margins, like as a vocation, is that when people hear what you do, they they have like a general response and that response is oh, you are such a special person it takes a really special kind of person to do what you do god bless you in fact uh one of my colleagues tells a story about how he um he was dining with someone that he supported one night and uh, a woman came up to him and gave him a 20 dollar bill like he got tipped just for aligning himself with someone on the margins. And this is something that, like, when we give presentations, we'll ask people, like, when you tell people what you do, and we're talking to all human service people, when you tell people what you do, how do they respond? And it has never come back without any of those answers. It's really common. And so something that happens is that like, when someone's telling you how special you are and how patient you are and how reverent you are all the time, um, you kind of start to believe those things, <laughs> right? So for about six years of this work along people with disabilities, um, I, I thought I was doing just wonderful work the Lord's work, and that it was so well-motivated. And, um, and after six years, Hannah actually had introduced me to the work of Dr. Wolf Wolfensberger, and he is a social scientist. He studies how society works, and, um, and he has some ideas about people on the margins of society, and, and this has really changed dramatically my, my thoughts on this work that I do. And uh, one thing, one presentation that he gives is, uh, it's called um, The Dilemma of Doing Human Service for Pay. And it's a presentation that he gives, and he starts out by reading the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, you know, one of the problems with human service workers is that they're constantly told that they're such good Samaritans. But if you really read the text the role that they serve isn't the role of the Good Samaritan. We're the innkeeper, right? We're the one who gets paid to take care of the guy, right? And that really radically shook my ideas about what I do and who I am and how I identify as a worker and as a person, really. And uh, so that moment shook me and it stopped me. And I thought, you know... Maybe I, maybe I might have misread that text. And so I thought, you know, Elisa, you really need to go back and reread this story because I'm not sure you're getting the themes right. 
And in fact, what I found is that we've kind of generated this this unconscious idea of what the story is about, which is, you know, like, it's good to be loving to your neighbors and those who are disenfranchised. And, like, that is good. That's a good thing. It is part of the story, but it's not really the whole story. And And I would... I would maybe posture to you to open your minds this morning to the fact that maybe the story is hitting some much deeper themes than what we have thought, um, certainly what I have thought over the years. So, um, so we're gonna, I'm, you know, in Bible college they teach you that like you break down your sermon in threes, you know, three themes. Um, so I'm gonna do that because who am I to argue? Um, <laughs> no one, no one. We rest on the wisdom of those who come before us. And so the first theme that I've noticed is that what Jesus is doing here, one, is that he reveals the inner workings of our hearts. This is a work that Jesus is doing constantly for us, and it's a work that's certainly at play in this parable. So just to look at it again, a lawyer stands up. Now, this is not like what we would think of as a lawyer. He's not a civic lawyer. Um, he's not, you know, arguing cases in the way that we think of it today. The lawyer that he is, is he is a man who is well-versed in the Holy Scriptures. He is well-versed in Levitic law, and he is someone who would take care of disputes within the Jewish context of that time. So that's important to know. And it's important to know because if you look at this scripture, it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Um, so that's another thing that's really good to notice about the lawyer. Uh, he's standing up to put Jesus to the test. And, uh, and how does Luke know this? Because Jesus knows this. And Luke spent a lot of time with Jesus, right? And so when he was constructing this, they would have talked a lot about these parables that Jesus was sharing. And so we know that the lawyer is standing in an unhealthy motivation because Jesus knew that. Because time and time again, we're seeing throughout Scripture that Jesus understands the inner workings of our hearts. And he pushes to reveal them to us because, I don't know about you, but... I'm not always conscious of the inner workings of my own heart. Um, and, and I sense that the lawyer wasn't necessarily conscious either. But he stands and so he asks Jesus, you know, teacher, what shall I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? And it's not a bad question, right? It's not a bad question. And it's not a bad person to ask about eternal life either. Um, but, but Jesus responds with a question. Knowing his heart, he says, well, what is written in the law? Or how do you read it is really what it translates to. And this lawyer being pretty well versed, he sums up the law for Jesus. And this is a good summary. Like we can learn from this guy um, to love God with your entire being and your neighbor as yourself. These are, this is the summary of the law that he gives. And he's displaying for Jesus that he knows the law well because he's really directly quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, uh, verses 4 and 5, um, which talks all about loving God with your whole being. And then Leviticus 19, verse 18, which talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. So he's kind of like, 
playing along with Jesus here, right? And uh, and Jesus says, yeah, like that is right on. Do this and live. And you would think, like, you know, as a teacher, you'd be like, okay, like, right answer, I'm moving along, like, I'm set, I'm good. But the lawyer t- senses a little tension here, right? And he's drawn to justify himself. And that is an inclination that we have pretty often in life, to justify ourselves. And part of that is because we're not necessarily comparing ourselves to the right people, because we're comparing ourselves to one another. And so in seeking to justify himself, he said, well, yeah. but who is my neighbor? Like, because I think I'm good, but maybe you define neighbor a little bit differently than I do. And uh, <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus kind of seeing where he's going here, tells this story. And, uh, and it's important to see where he starts out. So he talks about this man who's been beaten. He's laid at the side of the road, um, close to death. And, uh, and he highlights that he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which kind of leads the people of the time within that Jewish context to think that maybe this man had gone to Jerusalem to offer some kind of sacrifice or to maybe celebrate some kind of feast day, right? And he's on his way to Jericho, which is a pretty treacherous path when you look at it geographically. Um, and a priest comes along. Thank goodness, a priest comes along. And he, and he sees the man, right? He sees the man. And then he walks by. And it even goes into a specific to tell us that he walks by on the other side of the road. So not only does he see this man in peril, but he actually puts distance between himself and the man, right? Which we are so prone to do, are we not? I know I am. I've actually done this. I've done this very act where you're walking by, you see someone in peril, and you cross to the other side of the road. What's important to note is that this lawyer, a man of the law, of the Levitic law, would have identified this priest as a neighbor. This is a neighbor he would have known, right? Fails. Then a Levite comes along. Thank gosh. You know, a Levite. So Levites, um, they're one of the tribes of Israel, right? And Levites were actually um, a people that would serve in the temple as well. They were kind of like the assistant to the priest. And so they would do a lot of work within the temple. So this is also a guy that the lawyer would identify with. This is my neighbor. And the Levite walks by, sees the man, puts distance between himself, and walks by on the other side of the road. So what Jesus is doing is he's already revealing, like, yeah, I know who you think your neighbor is. And maybe we need to rethink this idea of who our neighbor is already in the story. The second theme that I see in the story as Jesus is revealing to this man what's really in his heart, Jesus also is starting to question the status quo. And this is something that he does over and over and over again. So 
So then he says, so then a Samaritan walks by. This may have caused somewhat of a visceral response from the lawyer. Because the Samaritans were a despised people by the Jews. And, and for some reasons, right? So, uh, you know, during Assyrian occupation of the northern kingdoms uh, in Jewish history, uh, the, the Samaritans were Jews that intermarried with Gentiles, which is not something you're doing in the Old Testament, just so you know. They were pushing the boundaries big time. The Jews actually um, despised the Samaritans so much so that they destroyed their temple of worship, um, which was set up to worship God. Um, but in 128 BC, they destroyed their temple. I mean, the hatred was deep enough. There was war. There was violence. And in fact, um, uh, to call someone a Samaritan was quite a popular insult uh, during this time. Um, so if you actually look up uh, John 8, verse 48, um, the Pharisees actually contemned Jesus as a Samaritan. They say, like, are you not just a Samaritan who's possessed by a demon? Like, this is a slant, right? Like, that's like a smack on the face because that is a, that's an insult within this context. It's pulling people that are the most marginalized, the most despised by this group of people, and building a comparison. And that is kind of how we do things, right? And you can tell that we do that in society because our language keeps changing to be more and more politically correct. So, like, for me, within the field of disability, like, you can't say the word retarded anymore. And it was only a diagnosis, but it started to be used as an insult because to be equated with someone who had mental retardation was an insult. And then they started calling people special. And then that was used as an insult. So now we call them intellectually impaired. And it won't be long before we start changing the language again and because we're not getting the root to the root of the issue, right? So this is a proclivity that we have to equate someone with someone that we despise as an insult. And they were despised because they were a people who had no access, right? They had no access to the temple. Their temple was destroyed. Therefore, they had no access to, uh, to providing sacrifice, um, which meant they were unclean. They had no access to worship, and therefore, in the minds of Jews, these people had no access to God. They were not a people who were inheriting the kingdom. And what does Jesus do in this story? He sets him up as the hero. I love that. <laughs> like, that gets me so charged up. He's flipping the script of the time. He's saying, okay, not only do you not know who your neighbor is, but you have some ideas about society and who God is for. And I'm telling you that because I'm here, God is for everyone. And the kingdom is for everyone. And these ideas that you have about who gets in are totally false. And we can't really, like, we gotta be, we gotta be careful not to uh, judge a little too harshly this lawyer because, um, because if I'm honest, 
the person that I relate to in this story more than anybody else, more often, like if I'm really honest, is the lawyer. (laughs) We are prone to do this, right? We're prone to look at one another and kind of see who belongs especially within our church culture. I mean, we live in a church culture where it's rich with tradition. It's rich with exclusivity, right? Like we carved out a culture. We feel in this culture to say that we are set apart, right? Does it sound familiar? Like maybe the Jewish people? (laughs) And we do this, right? So we have to be careful not to judge a little too harshly and not to misidentify roles sometimes. But Jesus is, Jesus is really challenging this. So, so he says, uh, the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now this, um, this verb of pouring... Um, is, is kind of a, a loose translation. It's really a rich word, meaning like to pour lavishly. So he lavishly pours oil and wine on this man's wounds. He sets him up on his own animal and he brings him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So not only is Jesus setting up the Samaritan as, as a hero in this story, but when he's talking about love, like, this is lavish love. This is love that I don't know for my neighbor. This is love to the lengths that I have not gone. This is love that Jesus knows the lawyer has not gone to. He's not ventured into this place. A denarii would have been about a day's wage. So two denarii, two days wage. Uh, Historians have actually discovered evidence that would show that uh, a night's stay in in an inn in the Roman Empire would have been about one thirty-second of a denarii. So not only does this guy put this man up for the night, He puts him up for like two months if necessary. This is lavish love. This man isn't thinking short term. He's not thinking, man, if I don't do anything, my conscience is burnt. He's thinking, what does this man need and how can I provide it? Because he sees himself in the man. And then Jesus flips the question. And this is really important. So... So he asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in among robbers? Do you notice he doesn't, he doesn't answer the man's question directly. Jesus doesn't do that a lot. Um, but he flips the question. The man is asking, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't ask him to define who his neighbor is in the story. He says, who was the neighbor to? the man who fell among robbers. Because what he's showing is that it's not about who is worthy of your love. 
It is about how we see ourselves. Do you see yourself as the neighbor too? Because how we see ourselves really strongly affects how we see other people. And that's a huge shift. He's saying it's not about who qualifies for love, but who is going to be willing to express unqualified, lavish love to others. And and notice something here. The lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. Like the lawyer can't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan, right? Like, how petty and small I so identify with this man. Like, that is something I would do, right? He can't even bring himself to say the word. How deep his devaluation is. And you can see so clearly how Jesus has set this time. This isn't about just who are you going to be nice to. It's about so much more. It's about who... Who do you see yourself as in light of who Jesus is? Because you can tell what your relationship is with God by your relationship to other people, right? We can tell a lot about how people view God by how they view other people. And then he says, go and do likewise. And... um, And something that gets missed, and this is such an interesting piece that I found in in doing some research, that, uh, you know, the lawyer gets really, like, showy, kind of displaying that he knows Scripture, and he knows the law, and he says, yeah, you got to love God, and you got to love your neighbor, and he knows who his neighbors are. But a little bit later in that chapter of Leviticus that he is quoting is Leviticus 19.34, which talks about loving the stranger as yourself. And it's interesting how we miss that. And Jesus is calling us not simply to love our neighbors, but to see strangers as our neighbors. And that is incredibly vital, because like it or not, there are people in this world that we do not see as our neighbors. And it might be different for each person, right? But they're there. Because with this humanity that we have, there is great capacity for kindness and love, but there is also great capacity for hatred and violence and brutality. And we all have both of those proclivities. So it's really important for us to really define clearly who are the people who are my enemies. Because if I don't know and I'm not thinking about it when I'm interacting with people, I am prone to be kind of mean, to be kind of judgy. And, and we found ways in, in our faith to talk about sin that's really pretty. Um, so if I tell you, like, I, I really wrestle with pride, and I'm not always kind to the people around me, like, you'd be like, oh my gosh, Elisa, thank you for being so open and vulnerable. That's like, I totally understand that. I wrestle with pride too. 
But if I, like, really parse that out for you, like, well, you know, like, in a group of people, like, if there's a new person that comes in, I might make some jokes at their expense so that people don't like them as much, and, like, maybe I get the laughs, and then people like me more. And that sounds just, like, a little uglier, you know, right? Like, if we really speak honestly about where we're at, like, we're not there. And that leads us into our final theme, which is that... Jesus provides a way. Something that gets missed a lot when we talk about this parable is the fact that, um, you know, the lawyer's not wrong when he says what brings eternal life. Like, if you look at the law, and that's what he would have known. Like, Jesus was new on the scene. He didn't have a New Testament to research and look up. And so for him... That was what brought eternal life. But what we know is that that is not a possibility for us, right? Like, to love God perfectly, that's not something I'm going to be able to do. To love your neighbor perfectly, like, that is not something I'm going to be able to do. Even if my neighbor is the people that I really enjoy being around, that is not something I am able to do. There's, like, a whole row of friends of mine and family, and they will testify to this. Like, I can be a jerk, right? Like, we fall short every time. So this would have been kind of bad news to bring a lawyer to this reckoning that, like, man, like, you're right, like, that is the answer, but you're not going to make it. And Jesus isn't doing this in a vindictive way. Like, the nice thing to think about when you're reading these parables is, like, Jesus, like, it's not me telling the parable. Because if it was me telling the parable, I'd be like, <laughs> like, you think you know the answer, but you're so wrong. And that, that's funny. Um, <laughs> Jesus isn't vindictive like I am. Like, Jesus cares for the soul of this man. We see that when he talks to the rich young ruler and he tells the rich young ruler like what he needs to inherit eternal life. It's weird that question keeps coming up. Um, and he tells him what he needs, and the, the rich young ruler walks away sad. And Jesus' response isn't like, these rich, like privileged people, like, can you believe them? That's not his response. He turns to his disciples and he says, Oh my gosh, guys, it is so hard. Like, do you see? Like, it's so hard. Like, it would be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle for him to be able to give up all that he has and just focus on God and focus on loving his neighbor. Like, it's hard work. And Jesus is pained by this. But the beautiful thing is that it's not on us. Like, Jesus provides a way. He gives the answer. This man is asking him, like, how do I get eternal life? He's talking to Jesus. Like, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So, so I watched this presentation Wolf Wolfensberger gave, and he, you know, calls me out, says, like, you're, you're no Samaritan, Elisa, right? Like, you're an innkeeper. And that's nice. Like, we need innkeepers. Like, the innkeepers are important. They provide a service. But, like, they don't, 
they don't fill all the roles. And we've gotten to a place, I think, in society where, like, we've come to rely a lot on innkeepers. Um, we've come a lot, we've, we've come to identify ourselves a lot by what we get paid to do. Um, or what we maybe don't get paid to do and wish we got paid to do. And before I went into human service, I, I was pursuing ministry. And uh, that question was still there, right? Like, doing the right thing for money. <laughs> and it's a high motivator. Um, but I think that Jesus is challenging us to who has things to offer, for one. Um, who, are, who are contributors into our society? And maybe we have some ideas about that that aren't really on the mark. Because maybe there are some people that we've discounted who have much to contribute. Um, a few years ago, Todd shared a quote from, uh, from Gregory Boyle, and it it has stuck with me for a long time, and I revisit, revisit it often. It says, often we strike the high moral distance that separates us from them. And yet, it is God's dream come true when we recognize that there exists no daylight between us. Serving the other is good. It's a start but it's just the hallway that leads into the grand ballroom. Kinship. Not serving the other, but being one with the other. Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with them. And there is a world of difference in that. I've spent so much time having ideas about people, and I've spent so much time um, feeling like I was in the right spot, feeling like I had it, feeling like, you know what, I know this. Like, I know the scripture, and I know my work, and, like, I'm doing it, guys. But I've really been challenged recently, and, and at times when I get excited and when I move around, like I know that that's not necessarily something that we do a lot here. Um, it's not because I feel that you guys really need to know this stuff, like get on it. It's because my eyes were open to this really ugly piece of me, and it's a piece that I haven't been able to get rid of. Um, and sometimes those, those people who, who are the Samaritan in my story, um, the people that I don't like, the people that I have despised, you know, those people, it's a, it's a rotating cast <laughs> pretty constantly. And um, I offer it to you as a confession. It's not a a sermon that I feel you need to hear. I think everyone does, and I I feel it most because I feel like it's the sermon that I most need to hear. Um, 
So I leave you with that.